Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. We will begin at verse 25 in chapter 30. And we are going to be going all the way to the end of chapter 31 today. So we have quite a bit to get. I feel a little bit like right before Thanksgiving meal. And I'm hoping we have time to get through it all. And because this is God's word, there is that temptation. It's such a lengthy portion. Maybe we won't read it all, but I am going to read it, which means I will try to do my best to cut down on what I'm going to say, because ultimately what matters is what the word of God says. So I definitely need the Lord's prayer this morning, but we need God's help as we come to study his word. So let's gather, let's pray, and ask God for his blessing. Father, Help us to hear your word this morning and to rejoice in it, to rejoice in you, our God, in who you are, in the promises you have made, and in your faithfulness, even in spite of our faithlessness. We pray to this end, Father, in Christ's name, amen. On January 6th, 1994, something happened as the U.S. and the world was readying itself for the Winter Olympics. Many of you will remember it. I remember it. And two ice skaters from the U.S. who were at their most prominent, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, And these two women were neck and neck. Uh, Tanya Harding had been the uh, most notable skater for a number of years. She had, in recent years, she, she was the first to land the difficult triple axle of all women in a competition. But Nancy Kerrigan was the, the new kid on the block. She was the darling. Tanya Harding was increasingly going further and further away from that top spot. She feeling threatened by Nancy Kerrigan. Tanya Harding, along with conspired with her, with a friend of her ex-husband, to go and he took a police baton. And when the opportunity presented itself he hit Nancy Kerrigan on the leg in which she would be landing in a hope that she would not be able to make it for the Olympics that year. She did indeed was able to skate and uh, landed the second, uh, or the, I should say the silver medal. Tanya Harding, for her end, as she tried to conspire and manipulate the situation, rather than just going out and skating her very best, rather than doing all that she could, she manipulated and tried to see the downfall of, of her competitor to her own advantage. And the result is that she was banned from skating. All of her medals, all of her accomplishments were stripped away from her. All because she tried to advance at the expense of her competition. The reality is we see something of that happening in our passage this morning. And our passage breaks up rather neatly. From Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 to the end of the chapter, you have Jacob um, 
seeking to get paid. And from chapter 31, well, all the way through chapter 31, what you see is Jacob trying to get out. But through it all, the first half of chapter 30 to this passage today, we are going to see that God is determined, despite Jacob's incredible character flaws, despite his faithlessness, despite all opposition, we will see how the Lord is determined to fulfill his promises to Jacob. So let's look, let's begin by looking at Jacob desiring to get paid at verse 25 and all we'll read to the end of the chapter in verse 43. So please follow along as I read. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Here you'll remember Jacob is far from home. Now he is ready to go back home now that he has a family of his own. But there is an issue. He has worked. He has served for his uncle and he has nothing himself. But he knows as long as he works for his uncle, he is not going to gain anything for himself. So he says, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wages and my children for whom I have served you. And let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience or by divination that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, this is Jacob, I'm sorry, Laban, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I provide for my own house? So Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob responds saying, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed your flocks, feed and keep your flocks, and let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages." So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and the almond and the chestnut trees peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which is in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled had he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. 
Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and he did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that, late, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So what we have going on here is there at the beginning, Jacob requests to leave. Laban is unwilling to go. He has learned by divination. Clearly, he is not a God-fearing man. We will find that out later when we learn that he has his own set of household gods and deities that he worships. And he has learned through divination, through experience, that it is not, he has grown wealthy since the time of Jacob's coming, not because of anything he has done, but because God has blessed him. So he doesn't want Jacob to leave. So he offers to give him something to get him to stay. And, and Jacob makes a deal with him. And you've got to remember, early on, none of those deals that Jacob were making were very good. At least they weren't, they weren't coming out in Jacob's side. He makes a deal for Laban's daughter, and he doesn't get the one he wants. He gets the, he gets the older one, the one that he, he doesn't think that he's working for. And he ends up having to marry the second, the youngest as well. He doesn't trust Laban. Laban clearly doesn't trust him. These, these two men, they are a match. Both are deceitful. Both are tricksters. So he doesn't trust Laban. And he knows that Laban doesn't trust him. So he says, look, let me take all of the, the spotted sheep, the brown sheep, all the colored sheep, anything that's not pure white, I will take them and these will become my wages. And I will breed them and all of the ones that are speckled or spotted or aren't fully white they will be my pay from you laban says hey this is a great plan that way there's it's very clear it's visible it's speckled it belongs to jacob it's pure white it belongs to me it's clear laban loves the plan before Jacob can go in and take all of the flock that belongs to him, all of the speckled, all of the spotted, all of the, the, the non-white, he, Laban, has his sons go in and remove all of them from the flock. And they take them a three days journey away. Clearly, there is no love lost. There is no trust whatsoever. The goal is, Laban's goal is thinking, look, Jacob's going to go in. And he's going to see that all that are left of his flock that he, is, that he is watching for me, all of them that are left are going to be only white. And the likelihood is going to be that all white sheep mating together are going to produce all white lambs. And all white goats mating together are going to produce all white kids. So Laban knows his basic breeding principles He's got this worked out in his favor. And just like last week, when we saw Rachel resorting to some kind of superstitious belief about mandrakes and their ability to make her fruitful and have children, we see the same kind of thing happening this week with Jacob. He has this idea in his head. And if it seems strange to you, it's because it is strange. He, he has this idea in his head that 
If the sheep and the goats, while they're mating, they see something that is spotted or speckled, they're going to have lambs that are spotted and speckled. It's really ridiculous. Because if that was the case, then, you know, if, if the lambs were, if the sheep were mating in a green field, they would be having green sheep. If they, you know, it, it, it is nonsensical. But it makes sense to him. He is desperate. And once again, there is no mention of him going to God in prayer. There is no mention of him asking the Lord to defend him, of asking the Lord to help him. There is no mention whatsoever of him seeing any dependence on God. He has got, in this, he has got his own strategy to figure it out. And we know, and he's later going to admit, that his strategy is rather stupid. Right? I don't use that word often, but it is dumb. And what we find, however, is that God blesses it. Jacob's strategy is to take these rods and, and to peel back some of the dark-colored bark so that the white of the, the wood is exposed underneath. So you've got striped and spotted rods in front of all of these sheep as they're mating. And God, despite Jacob's faithless attempts, God remains faithful. And he causes the lambs and the goats to be born that are strong to be spotted and speckled, to have blemishes, to be something other than pure white. More than that, Jacob, you see, he is doing this only for the healthy and strong sheep. If it's weak, if it's feeble, if it's sick or unhealthy, he's not doing it. So what ends up happening here is that the weakest sheep start to become Laban's over time. And the strong sheep become Jacob's. This is God's doing. Both men trying to connive, trying to manipulate, trying to advance themselves at the hurt of the other. And yet God is faithful to his promises to Jacob. The promises that he made to Abraham. That he would make Jacob a great nation. That he would provide for him. That he would bless him. And he would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. And we see that going forward in the next chapter, in chapter 31. There are four episodes that go on in chapter 41. Four conversations that take place. The first conversation is there in the first couple of verses. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all of this wealth. So clearly Laban's family is letting Jacob know he is no longer accepted. In verse 2, we read that the Lord comes to Jacob. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, verse 3, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Here is the promise that God gives him. He made it to him once before at Bethel. I will be with you. And here again, he makes this promise, I will be with you. And you, brothers and sisters, we need to understand what God is commanding 
him to do is incredibly risky. For Jacob to leave, it means he is going to be out from under the protection of his uncle Laban, who is the one who is wealthy, who clearly, what we will find out, he has quite a bit of power and influence and strength. But the Lord tells him to go back home, to return to the land of his fathers, and gives him the promise that he will be with him. He will protect him. And Jacob, from this conversation with God, from this encounter with God, goes and he asks his wives to come out to the field to meet with him. And I imagine the reason he asks them to come to him I think two reasons. One, it's a neutral setting. Remember, he's got multiple wives who are always competing for his attention and affection. Whose home does he go to to have a family meeting? And if he has, if he meets them at one home or the other, doesn't that signal someone's in charge? Someone's got greater influence. But I think the second reason is that Jacob is worried. That there is someone in the camp who's going to inform Laban of their plans. So he calls his wives out to the field so they can have this little powwow. And we see going forward from verse 4 all the way to verse 21. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the fields to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped up from leaped upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying Jacob and I said here I am those words are important we've seen those words already we saw those words with Abraham we have seen them with Isaac and here we see again with Jacob here I am And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had, which he had gained. He is, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river 
and headed toward, toward the mountains of Gilead. What we find here rather quickly is Jacob getting his wives to come out. Them, they, both of his wives, who are the, the daughters of Laban, neither of which have, neither daughters have any kind of love, it seems, for their, for their father. They see what he has done. He has literally sold them away. And he has taken all the money that would be theirs. He has spent it all and wasted it all. So they've got little love for their father. They agree quickly to, to leave. And you'll notice that little, that little line that Rachel goes and she, she steals the household gods of her father. And the question is, what, what is happening there? In that time, it was common for individual homes and families to have their own gods. And these household gods were believed to be the, the source of blessing and prosperity for the entire family. And the greater the blessing and prosperity that the family experienced, it indicated that the, that, that god, that deity that the family worshipped, it must be strong and prosperous himself. And it begs the question, why then does Rachel steal her dad's household gods? Part, possibly, because she wants to rub her father's face in the fact that he has been defeated. She wants to rob him of something. He has already robbed her of her wealth. But I think what we see is that she does not yet truly trust the Lord yet. In fact, in chapter 32, one of the things we're going to find is that Jacob will have to instruct his family, and Rachel in particular, to put away the household gods that she has. To put away the gods that are among you. Clearly, they are, what they are trying to do is they are trying to worship God, or at least follow him when it's convenient, but they are still worshiping their own household gods, the family gods. This is trying to have God and, and, and as, as one of the other gods, as one of, among gods. But God will not be worshipped as one among many. And if you just think about it, it, this is religiously, theologically insane. If you can steal a God, how powerful is it? Much less, the household gods of her father have proven themselves to be inadequate to defeat God. They have been impoverished in the face of the Lord. Why, oh why, would she want them? Why doesn't she trust God? But the last thing we see is Jacob's deceitfulness. God tells him to leave and to go back to his own country. But Jacob works and schemes it all out so that he is leaving almost under the cover of night. You remember he's, he's three days away. He waits for the, for the right time. And when no one's looking, he, he leaves. And the scriptures are clear. He deceives Laban one last time because he did not tell him he was leaving. And the upshot of it all is that it only increases the distrust and the anger between them. And so what we see then is this, another conversation. 
going on between Laban and Jacob, beginning with me in verse 22. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Remember, three days away, so it takes three days' journey for the message to get to him. Then he took his brethren with him, and we might think of this as he is gathering every one of his household, all the men, both servants, both family, gathering everyone together. And they pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful, <coughs> be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away, unknown to me, and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in doing so. It is in my power to do harm to you. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why? Why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Because you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods' idols and put them in a camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but he did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all of my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before me and my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years." I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Laban comes And it is absolutely clear from the wording that Laban is not coming 
just to scold. He intends to violently and by force bring his daughters and Jacob back. But the night before, God comes to him, warns him not to. Prevents him from doing so. So that when he arrives, he... He looks for his household gods, accuses Jacob of it, begins to search for them. Rachel, taking after her dad, taking after her husband, does exactly what she sees them do. She, she lies about the whole situation. I can't move from where I'm sitting. You'll understand. And Jacob, when he sees his father-in-law come back empty-handed, he blows up. How dare you accuse me? And he begins to unpack his, his work ethic. And I have no doubt that what Jacob recounts is in many ways true, but I, just from what we have seen from Jacob, you can almost know that there is things that he is leaving out. Things where he has cheated his father-in-law. But either way, they come together angry. So finally, in verses 43 to the end of the chapter, we find that they, they resolve things through an agreement. And Laban answered and said to Joseph, Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jager Sadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, the Lord witness between you and I. The Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban rose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Clearly, there is no love lost between these two men. You'll see even even that one line where they, they set up this pillar and, and a stone pillar has become significant in the life of Jacob. Stones have become significant. You've got the stone where he is leaving home and there is Bethel laying his head on the stone and he makes a little pillar after God has come to visit him there. 
And at the beginning of chapter 30, or sorry, chapter 29, he, he meets Rachel at a large stone that he, will, that he will indeed move. And then here, finally, on his way back home, another pillar marks a significant event. And you have perhaps seen, as I have, that line, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. I remember when I was in college and I began to see uh, couples that would inscribe that line on rings or on a necklace as if it was, you know, they would, they would each have a ring that would have that line. The Lord watch between you and me when we are not with one another as if it's a good thing because in the context, it's not a good thing at all. This is, this is not, oh, my heart is with you and the Lord watch over you. This is, I don't trust you. And just because I'm not there doesn't mean God isn't going to see. And there's this wordage that describes the Lord here. It's, this, is, this is massively important. When Jacob is recounting his, his family... He recounts that he is following, unless the God of my father, verse 42, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and you would expect him to say the God of Isaac, but he doesn't say that. He says the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. The wording is is almost as if he's saying the one whom causes, the the one of Isaac, the God of Isaac, who causes dread, who causes terror. What's holding these men in check, ultimately, isn't an esteem of God for his glory, isn't isn't the hope of God for his goodness. It is the fear of God. It is the fear of God. These two men are at one another's throat, and they are, there's one attribute of God that they are clear on. It is that God is terrifying. And friend, you and I ought to read this chapter and know that the only two things that is going to stop these two men who were at one another, always trying to one-up one another, to deceive one another, the thing that is finally going to hold them at bay and keep them honest is their terror at God. Is their terror at God. And, God. and through this, God is protecting and preserving his people. I realize that the idea that God is terrifying and one to be feared, that is not an idea that gets a lot of press in our day. Churches and religious leaders and Christians, we, we are good talking about the idea that God is love. And he is. We ought to rejoice in his goodness, in his mercy, in his grace. But we cannot neglect that he is one to be feared. This is not merely an example of, an, of the Old Testament God being this way. But in the New Testament, we find that God is now loving and kind and gentle. For it is in the New Testament that we read in Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing, a dreadful thing, a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
This is why Jesus warns us not to be afraid of those who are only able to destroy our bodies, but to be afraid of Him who can destroy both body and soul. There is coming a day, the Scriptures tell us in Revelation 19, when Jesus will return as the rider on the white horse. And we are told that his eyes will be like a flame of fire. There will be on his head a a jeweled crown, a sword in his hand, and his robe sprinkled with blood. And and we are told that that he will tread out the winepress of the fury and wrath of God Almighty. In Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, we read these words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to the works that they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friend, make no mistake, there is no neutral ground with God. If we do not repent of our own way, if we do not turn and hope in Jesus Christ alone... We have only God to fear because we will have him as our eternal enemy. But the promise is that those who hope in Christ will have him as their savior. Because the infinite power and majesty and wrath of God Almighty was satisfied in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, at the cross of Christ Jesus. The very thing that you and I ought to taste, hell itself, Christ tasted for us. So that approaching God is no longer our dread He is now able through Christ to be our delight. It is not our danger to us who believe. It is not our calamity. It is our confidence to come to God. Because of Christ, we now have the promise that all who believe shall not taste death, but have everlasting life, eternal life, that is life upon life. So what have we to dread from God if we are trusting in Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. For there is now no condemnation. Paul writes, in Romans 
For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not there is only some condemnation. No condemnation. Friend, trust in this Jesus. Teenager, child, young person, trust in this Jesus. I want you to notice that the, the, the massive parallels. There are, there are huge parallels between this passage and the book of Exodus. You'll remember that Moses is the writer of Genesis. And Moses is writing this book in the timeline, in the time that the people of Israel are between Mount Sinai and before they have gone into the promised land. He is trying to prepare them to take what God has promised them, even as you and I need to remember to trust God, that we will trust Him to deliver on the promises that He has made to us. And it appears to me that Moses is very much trying to show the Israelites in his time that there is a, that Jacob went through some of the same things that they endured. Just as Jacob escaped from his home and went to Laban, so Israelites escaped famine, went to Egypt. Just as Jacob served Laban and initially all was well, so the Israelites served Pharaoh and initially all was well. And just as Jacob finally increased in family size, so does so did the Israelites in Egypt. And just as Jacob fell out of favor, so did the Israelites in Egypt. And just as Jacob found himself serving Laban without any pay, so did those who were enslaved in Egypt. And just as God prospered Jacob and brought him out, even to the point where he plunders Laban, so does God work in his people Israel to plunder the Egyptians when he led them out. And just as Jacob was chased down by Laban, so too were the Israelites chased down by Pharaoh. And just as God would lead Jacob safely back to his home, so he would lead safely, he would lead Israel safely back to the land that he had promised them. And brothers and sisters, we have this confidence in light of this, that there is not one promise that God gives to you in his word that he will fail on. Heaven will be better than you and I can begin to fathom now. And those promises that we will experience in full then, they are already at work now. We already have eternal life. We do not wait for it. We have it. We are not waiting for forgiveness. We have it. We do not wait for full communion. We have it. We have now, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Oh, we will experience it fully then, but we have it now. And Jacob at every turn here fails to believe in God. God has made these promises to him. Not because he shows himself to be worth it. There is, up to this point, Jacob hasn't done anything that would merit 
any praise of God, much less the fulfillment of these promises. I mean, Jacob is a scoundrel. He is not the kind of person you want in your family. So why? Why would God make such glorious promises to to him of all people? Because he chose him. Because of his grace. That's the only reason God deals with any of us mercifully. It's because of his grace. And Jacob is going to see, well for us, next week. But Jacob is going to see in the very next, next instance as he goes home, he is going to see the glory and the greatness and the power of God. But more than anything, he is going to see the grace of God. And to understand fully and finally that the promises of God come to us not because we deserve them, not because we manipulate our way into them, but because God is gracious. Though we are faithless, God remains faithful. Friends, I do not know where this week has in particular led each and every one of you. Has there been conflict at work? At home, with your kids, with one another, spouses? Is the bank account running a little, a little low? Is that thing that you ordered that you need delayed yet again? You will never Brothers and sisters, you will never go into the marketplace of God's grace and promises and find any shelf bare. We may lose everything in this world, but we will not lose one promise of God. God shows himself to be faithful here. The beginning of chapter 30, God shows himself to be faithful to his promise that he will make a great nation of Jacob. He gives him many children despite Jacob's faithlessness and sin in taking to himself multiple wives. In our chapter in, chapter, in the end of chapter 30 and chapter 31, we see God fulfilling his promise that he will bless Jacob. And in 31, we see that he will bless him who blesses him and curse him who curses him. God knows what we have need of before we ask of it. Let us go out this next week. Let us live not only with faith, let us live with joyful faith, a happy faith that God Almighty in Christ Jesus is for us in more ways than we can dare to imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
we are humbled in light of this. In this man, Jacob, we find so many parallels to our own lives. We, we sin, we lie, we excuse it. We are proud of our own habits, be they work habits, be they things that we do. Oh, forgive us. And help us to see that any gain we have is a gift of your grace. That we may be humbled, that more than that, that we may be happy in Christ. That we may taste now of heaven's joys. Oh God, work mercifully in us. In Christ's name, amen.